First of all, I want to thank each and every one of you for your gifts, your thoughts, for everything that you've done. Um, I know you give so much of yourself. So the first thing that comes to my mind is, wow, that's a lot that you're giving to my family. Um, but you give a lot to others. You serve others in this church. Um, and for that, I love you. I'm thankful for being a part of a community that when, when someone is hurt, when someone cannot provide for themselves, you are quick to respond. You're very quick to respond. And, and, and for that, I am thankful to be a part of a church um, that cares deeply for one another. I love what Scripture says. When one suffers, we all suffer. When one rejoices, we all rejoice, right? And, and, and that's the beauty of the church. So we have so many men and women in this local congregation that's serving, that's loving, that's, that's just so caring, um, and I'm thankful for that tremendously. Uh, thank you again for the golf balls. Brother Jerry is absolutely right. I guarantee you by tomorrow, uh, by next week, I'm going to have zero balls left. So, uh, <laughs> but, um, but still, uh, thank you again for, for everything. With that said, uh, if you're a guest at First Baptist Church of Thibodeau, welcome. Welcome to First Baptist Church of Thibodeau. We're excited that you're here. Um, we teach the Bible, we walk through the Bible, um, and we are walking through the book of Hebrews, and we're in Hebrews chapter 12, by far one of my favorite passages of Scripture in the entire Bible, right? Hebrews 12 is such a powerful passage of Scripture. And members, know that we love you, we're thinking deeply about you, and praying for you. With that said, can you please stand, stand out of reverence to God's holy and righteous word Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's pray together. Father, we are thankful for your word. We are so thankful that you are an intimate God. That you wrote holy scriptures for us so that we would know who God is and we will know who we are. But thank you that when we look at Scripture, we see the doctrine of God. This is specific revelation. And as we observe specific revelation, we understand our hearts. Why that we sin and why we act the way that we act. And, and, and Jesus came to save us. And we are thankful for that. Teach us what we do not know. Make us what we are not. And give us what we do not have. And God's people says, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. The title for today's sermon is The Spiritual Race. The Spiritual Race. The Bible is filled with metaphors that describe the Christian life. Filled with metaphors. For example, we, we, we have the Christian life is compared to that of warfare. And the Apostle Paul was really good in explaining that to us. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3, he says, Endure hardship as a good soldier of Christ. And then Ephesians chapter 6, he says to put on the 
armor of God, right? The Bible also speaks and it gives us the metaphor of a slave. And it says that we are slaves to God, bound servants to God. The Apostle Paul frequently uses this metaphor throughout his letters, right? The Bible also tells us that, that we ourselves are salt and lights, right? This is the metaphor that is used in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 through 16. We are salt and lights to this world. So we must influence this world. The Bible also used athletics as a sense of a metaphor to describe the Christian life. For example, the Bible tells us specifically in 1 Corinthians about boxing. And the Apostle Paul says that I box not as one who just beats the air, but I have a target whenever I box. And he says to us, the Christian life is like boxing, right? But he also tells us about run in the race. And the way that we run, and the Apostle Paul uses this phrase often throughout his epistles. For example, he says, we run in a race in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 14. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 7, he says, run in well. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 16, he says, run in vain, right? But throughout Scripture, we see that the Christian life is like a race. And this is exactly what the author of Hebrews does here. He uses the metaphor of running, a race, and he compares it to that of the Christian life. But thus far, we notice what the author of Hebrews has been doing, right? So in chapter 1 through chapter 10, verse 18, he mentions specifically about the superiority of Christ, that he wants us to see that Christ is greater than the angels. He is greater than Moses. He's greater than Aaron. He, he is great. And then he shifts from chapter 10, verse 18, to chapter 10, verse 19, all the way to the end of the chapter, which is chapter 13, verses 22, he helps us see now what is our responsibility. Now that you know that Christ is greater than all, what do you do with this? And this is exactly what he does here. In chapter 12, we are given a picture of the situation of what the church was going through. They were a small church and they were being persecuted and there is temptations and trials and they were very discouraged. And some were even thinking about walking away from the faith. And then we have the author of Hebrews is writing them and he's telling them, coming closer, coming closer and get this, get this, endure with Jesus. In this Christian race that you're in, it is not a sprint, it's a marathon. And you must endure. This is his message here. So how do we do this? How do we do this? How do we endure? How do we run the Christian race? I'm glad you're asking this question. Because the author of Hebrews, he's answering this question for us here. This morning, he wants us to focus on three ways that we can run the Christian race. 
Three ways that are very important for us to run the Christian race. So here they are. Based on the verbs used here, we must lay aside. What is it that we must lay aside? He says, the weight and the sin that so easily besets us. I love the King James translation here. The sin that be besets us. Other translation says the, the sin that entangles us. We see this in verse 1a. Well, how can we walk or run this Christian race, right? Well, it's simple. Run. <laughs> run, Forrest. Run. Just run. And he tells us how must we run. With endurance. We do not stop. There's no such thing as a Christian who stops. No, he moves forward, moves forward. We see this in verses 1b and 3. We must look. Well, who am I looking at? What am I looking at? I'm looking at Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of my faith. So as I'm running this Christian race, I'm looking forward to Jesus who is at the finishing line ready to say to me, good and faithful servant, come in. You have finished well. So we look to Jesus. So lay aside, run, and look to Jesus. I pray to God that you are engaged this morning and willing to run this race. Where, where are you in your Christian walk? Well, Kevin, I'm, I'm just stagnant. I, I, I don't know really why I'm at, but I'm just kind of stagnant. I know that I'm saved, but I'm stagnant. I'm, I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do, but I'm stagnant. But listen to me very carefully. If you're not moving forward, you're moving backwards. And there's a problem with that. Because God has called you, if you're a Christian, to move forward. To move forward. So, so this morning, if you're stagnant in your Christianity, if the pressures of this world, if, if being a parent, if, if your employer is putting a lot of pressure on you, if, if you're struggling through depression, if you're struggling because of finances and you're thinking to yourself, man, it's better for me to walk away from God, don't do that. The author of Hebrews here is encouraging you to look to Jesus. Don't, don't look around you. Because if you look around you, you'll see nothing but failure and discouragement. But where are you commanded to look? Not even behind you. You're called to look forward. And who is forward? Jesus. So with that said, let's observe the first point. We must lay aside. We must lay aside. The author here is describing races in the ancient world. And comparing that to our spiritual race. In the ancient world, they would compete. And there are three things that must be present in the life of any racer. One, there must be preparation. He must be prepared for the race. Two, 
There must be participation. He must participate. And three, there must be the sense of preserving, preservation. He preserves. You get it. Or more so, he perseveres. And here specifically, he is looking at the ancient runner and he's saying to us, observe your spirituality. The same things are needed. Preparation, participation, and you must persevere. You must persevere. So notice with me very carefully the first verb that he mentions here. He says to us to lay aside every weight and sin. So two things that we're called to lay aside. Two things that we're called to lay aside. First, we're called to lay aside the weight as we are running. In ancient times, as the runner would get ready to run, he would not desire to be hindered by his clothes. So what he would do, most of the time, the runners will run naked. They would remove their clothes so they can be free in running. Here, this is what the weight means. Weight here literally means weight that hinders any hindrance. The weight is not necessarily sin. As a matter of fact, weight can sometimes be something good. Good in your life, right? What do you mean, Kevin? How can it be good and bad at the same time? Well, let me ex explain to you and define what hindrance means here. Hindrance is something good that weighs you down spiritually. How can it be good and bad at the same time? Perfect example. God created friendships. Friendship is a good thing. But if you are following friends that would cause you to stumble, then there is a major problem. So at that moment, the friends can be a hindrance. That friendship can be what? A weight. These are some examples that we have in Scripture. Here's another example. Facebook, right? Facebook itself is not a sin. It's not wrong for us to be on Facebook. But if we're on Facebook all the time, trolling people, like, you know, trying to figure out what's going on, and, and the majority of your time is on Facebook, and you're not spending time reading, you're not spending time in the things of God, then guess what? Facebook has become a weight. These are the examples that we have in our own culture. So, a hindrance is something good that weighs you down spiritually. And friends, oh friends, oh friends, we have many weights in our culture today. More, perhaps, than ever before. And why is that? Let me give you a perfect example of why. Because self-control is rare, right? This is a good virtue that is mentioned in Scripture. But for some reason, in our culture, it is rare. Where in our culture before, or way back, when Jesus calls for us, he calls for us to be what? Self-sacrificing. He calls for us to be self-disciplined. But today, we find ourselves with unrestrained self-indulgences. And our culture is consistently promoting this. Gratify our desires is what we are constantly getting on advertisements, right? 
For, for example, we, 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 are, we, we hear this on a consistent basis. Thirst is everything. Obey your thirst. What is it saying to us? Pay your thirst. There's no self-control. Do what you want. Nike, just do it. Right? Just do it. Here's another one. Bet you can't eat just one. <laughs> but you got to have more and more and more. But friends, deprivation is a portal into more life. It is. When you think about hindrances and weight, you've got to think of us having self-control. To say to ourselves, man, I'm going to be very introspective, observe my life. Man, I've been on Facebook for a long time. Have I read the Bible today? Have I said something good to people today? Have I prayed today? These are some of the things I'm talking about. So, so the way we combat that is to say, man, I have no self-control. God, you have given me something good, but it has become bad in my life because it's controlling me. Friends, notice the second thing that we must lay aside. We must lay aside the sin that clings to us. The sins that cling to us. You notice there is a difference between the weight and the sin. Now, the weight can lead into sin, but the weight is not sin in itself. So we, as people of God, must be disciplined enough to say that I will say no to certain things. Here's the sin. And sins, particularly here, are sins that cling to us. Come in closer and don't miss what the apostle, what the author of Hebrews is saying here. Don't miss this. Come in closer. This pertains to you. There are certain sins in your life that you are very susceptible to fallen and succumbing to than others. There are certain sins in your life that can pull you in. For example, might be the sin of pornography for some men. Most men struggle with that, but not all men. Some men even to a greater degree than other men. So, a man can watch a movie with just a man and a woman kissing each other and not be tempted. But another man can watch it and then still be tempted by it. These are the examples that I want to help you understand. When the author of Hebrews is saying the sin that clings to you is the sin that you are more susceptible to falling to, succumbing to. Maybe it's gossip. Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's envy. Maybe it's jealousy. Some of you might struggle with jealousy more than someone else. Nevertheless, the author of Hebrews is saying this to us. We must lay aside the sins that cling to us. But how can you lay aside the sin that clings to you? You must know that sin. And oftentimes we find ourselves in denial. We are okay with sin. You know yourself. And most importantly, the Holy Spirit knows you. So pray. Pray to the Spirit to reveal the sin that entangles you. As the King James Version says, that besets you. 
Friends, this is not a game. Our culture said it's okay for you to be all right with sin. But here, we notice what sin does in our Christian race. It slows it down. It slows us down. It prevents us from running the way we ought to. So we deal with it. We deal with the weight, and we also deal with the sin. What are the sin? Perhaps covetousness, envy, criticism, laziness, hatred, lust, unthankfulness, pride. What are they? What are the sins that so easily besets you? I love what Al Mola mentions. Notice this very carefully. He says one of the most horrifying truths about sin is that it clings to the sinner. Oh, friends, it clings. It clings. And what we must do is fight hard against it. But we are called to strip it off. Give it to Jesus to be killed. I love what the author of, of, of Romans, Paul, mentions. And he says, we must put to death the deeds of the body by Oprah. No, he didn't say that. By Dr. Phil. No, he didn't say that. But by Kevin. No, by, by Tony, by Luke, by Je No, by the Holy Spirit. He modifies sin for us. He kills sin. So we are called to give our sins to the Spirit to kill. Notice a great example, and we have it in verse 1. Therefore, since you are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight, let us lay aside every sin, and let us, let us run the race, right? So, so here he gives us an example, and he says to us, here is our encouragement, the great a cloud of witnesses. And who are they? Some commentator says it's angels. No, it's not. It's clear in the book of Hebrews who those witnesses are as those mentioned in the hall of faith above that's why he says therefore therefore means to go above look at the previous chapter see what i've been talking about thus far so all of the men and women mentioned in hebrews chapter 11 are the great cloud of witnesses but don't miss this coming closer and don't miss this in the ancient times when they would run they would have witnesses those witnesses were only spectators and listen to this. Don't miss this coming closer. These people mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11 are not spectators, but they have already participated. They are participants. They have run the race. They have finished it. And there's a crown of righteousness with him right now. So, so here, the author of Hebrews is saying, they're not just cheering you on. What they're doing is this. By their examples, they're telling you to move forward. They've finished the race. They have kept the faith. These are the great cloud of witnesses. Their examples are before us. When we see of Rahab and her example, and Abel and Moses and his, their example, we are tremendously encouraged to pursue the things of Jesus. So, not only must we prepare by laying aside the weight and sin in our spiritual life, don't miss this coming closer. Further, we must participate. Participate and persevere 
in our spiritual race. And this is exactly what the author of Hebrews does here. Second point, we must run. We run. We run with endurance. The word run here in the original language is where we get our word agony from, great pain from, great struggle from. So here, the author of Hebrews is saying to us that this Christian race that we're running, it's not an easy race. It's not what the prosperity gospel teachers are telling you. Come to Jesus and everything will be perfectly fine. It's not what some preachers are saying to you, that you will never struggle. Your family will be perfectly fine. No. This Christian race involves great agony and pain. And he says to, to run the race with great endurance. With great endurance. Typically, in the race, just a few run and the majority of spectators, but the author of Hebrews, he's using this metaphor, and he's writing to the church, and he's saying, if you're a Christian, you are all running the race. Do you understand that this morning? How is the race? How are you running this race? This is exactly what the author of Hebrews wants us to see. But friends, I need you to get this. He mentions the word endurance here. We are called to endure. We think of a marathon runner that when he runs, his lungs begin to hurt him, right? His feet begins to hurt, but he endures. This is not a sprint, but rather it's a marathon for the Christian. But observe this. The one who endures us is Christ himself. Christ is the one who gives us the endurance that we need. It's not coming from your self-righteousness or from your good works. No, please do not miss this. And for those of you who have walked this Christian life long enough, you know it's not based on your strength, but it's based on the strength of Christ. That every day, like the hymn writer mentioned, prone to wander. Oh, I feel it. Prone to leave the Lord I love, the God I love. We could identify with this hymn writer. That turn, and I see what's going on in this world, and I'm saying, man, that looks good, God. Why am I pursuing Christianity? Why am I doing this? And the only reason is because God has kept you. God is allowing you to endure. Do not miss this. You know, I, 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 I've mentioned this analogy. When I, when I take my boys, especially when they were a lot younger, I would take them to maybe a football game or I'll take them to the Pelicans game. And, and as I'm with my boys, I, they're grabbing my hands. They're holding my hands. And their feeble attempt they're trying to hold my hand. And as they see the crowd all around them, I could feel the tension. I could feel maybe they're fearful. But here's the great comfort. The comfort is not the fact that they are trying to grab my hand. But daddy's grip on them is way stronger than their feeble grip on me. I will keep them. I have them. 
And in the same way with God, God is the one who keeps us. He keeps us. In 1 Peter, it mentions this specifically in 1 Peter. It says that God is the one who guards our inheritance. He is keeping it in heaven for us. There's no one bigger and greater than God. Because of that, he endures us. But it's not a passive endurance. Well, God, you're going to keep me and I'm doing nothing. No, 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 no. We are called to pursue God. We are called to pursue what is right, what is true, what is righteous, right? But do not forget, it is God who keeps us. So friends, notice this as well as he shares about running here. And he says to us that we run with endurance. Notice that we have different maps, right? For example, as we run, the race that I'm running, the Christian race that I'm running, perhaps you cannot run my race and see that my race is more difficult and perhaps impossible. But I would look at your race and I would say exactly the same thing. We are not called as Christians to compare each other's race in that sense. To say to ourselves, well, you know what, man, here is this person struggling and suffering, but look at me, God. I am so good, so I'm better than this person right here. Friends, do not miss this. As we run this race, we run a race that is different than so many others. That is, some of us, we are running uphill, and some of us are are basically running flat, and some of us are running where there is nothing but turns, right? You look at a brother and a sister in Christ, and you're saying to themself, man, they're serving God, and everything seems to be going fine in their life. And you look at your life, and you're saying, why is my teenage daughter pregnant? I'm reading the Bible just like my sister or my brother. Why am I not getting a promotion at work? And this one is. Why is it that my wife has cancer, and his wife is doing really well? Because the race that God has you running is a race specific for you. For you. You must run with endurance. You must turn to God to give you that endurance. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7 through 8, he mentions this. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the righteous judge will give to me on that day, but not only to me, but to all those who have loved his appearing. Love that passage of scripture. In 1981, a crippled man by the name of Bill Broadhurst desired to run and entered into this marathon. It's a Pepsi Challenge 10,000-meter race in Nebraska. And he signed up, although he was crippled severely 10 years ago because of an aneurysm that left him paralyzed on the left side. Bill decided he was going to run, no matter what. As he lined up with 1,200 men and women, the pistol went off. And here is Bill, the last one to go. And as all the runners are running, you can see from from witnesses how Bill was in 
consistent agony every step he took. You could sense his agony, his pain. The runners, several runners finished in 23 minutes. 23 minutes they finished. It took Bill two hours and 29 minutes to finish. And as soon as he crossed the line, the story was told that several people approached him. And one man in particular, Bill, notice it was another man by the name of Bill. And this particular Bill was a man that had run so diligently. It was Bill Rogers who have won many, many marathons, many, many races. And here is Bill Rogers coming to Bill and he took his medal that he just won and he looked at Bill and he placed it on Bill's neck. And he said, you have won this race. My friends, the moral of the story here is that we are all running, but we must finish. But notice the one, Bill, who finished last. But he had the medal. He received the medal that was first. And I think when we observe in Christianity, we see something very similar. That we as Christians, as long as we endure, God will see us through. God keeps us in enduring, but we participate as well by saying to God, I am faithful to you because you are faithful to me. I love you because you love me. Let's take a look at the third point here. So we must lay aside every weight and every sin according to the Scripture. We must run with endurance. And finally, we must look. I absolutely love this verse. See for yourself in verse 2. In verse 2. In verse 2 of chapter 12, he says, consider, I'm sorry, in, in, in verse 2 of chapter 12, he says, look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So, so here it is. Here it is. Here he tells us that Christianity, don't miss this, is centered on the singularity of Jesus Christ. Christianity is not a cult of hero worship. It's not. When we observe David and we observe, we observe all those people in the Old Testament, Abraham and Lot and every single one of them, we thank God for moving in their lives, but we are not worshiping these men and women because we know that God moved mightily in them. They made much of Jesus, and we must make much of Jesus ourselves. So Christianity is the center. At the center of Christianity is Jesus Christ. Not Abel, not Moses, not Abraham, but Jesus Christ. Do you notice he uses the name Jesus here to focus on the humanity of Jesus? He wants us to see the pain, the struggle, the difficulties that Jesus endured, looking unto Jesus. And here he tells us several things that we must observe, four things, and we'll close with this. What do we look to Jesus for? We look to Jesus as author of our faith. 
The Greek word here means pioneer. He is the author. He is the source of our faith. It's not the law. It's not the Bible. It's not Christianity. It is Jesus. He is the author of our faith. He is both the cornerstone and the capstone. You get this. We look to Jesus as the author and perfecter of our faith. Secondly, we look to Jesus as perfecter. You notice the word perfecter here. He's not alluding to that Jesus is the only one who walked perfectly on this earth, although that's true. But here specifically, he's alluding to the fact that Jesus perfected our faith. This is the word telesai. The same word that Jesus used when he was dying on the cross and he says, it is finished. In other words, Jesus is the one who completed our faith. It is perfected in and through Jesus. Not your works, not your religion, but through Jesus. Please get this. Third we look to Jesus' attitude. Looking unto Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy. This is the attitude that we must have. The joy that was set before him, despising the shame, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. We notice with Jesus that he endured physical pain, but don't miss this, also spiritual pain. What do you mean spiritual pain? The greatest difficulty of Jesus being on the cross was the separation that he experienced between him and his father. This is why when he was on the cross, he says, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? So he endured physical pain, but also spiritual pain as well. The pain was immense. But yet, the text tells us, the joy that was set before him. This is the attitude of Jesus here. Why was there such great joy? For several reasons. One, because he knew that him dying on the cross will bring many to glory. He died for you. To see God, to be with him forever. That's great joy. But also, the purpose of of his exaltation, that he will be on the right side of the throne of God. Friends, the same thing for us. Don't, don't miss this. Whatever you're going through, whatever difficulties you're going through, as a Christian, do not look back, but look forward and embrace the attitude of Jesus. Why? Because this too shall pass. I promise you, it will pass. Whether it's on this earth, or the earth to come. This too shall pass. That's what Jesus was looking to. So we must have the attitude of Jesus. And finally, as we close, as we close, we must look to the example of Jesus. What example that we have here? The example is mentioned in verse three as we close. See for yourself. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary 
or faint-hearted. The word or the phrase weary and also the phrase faint-hearted was used in running. It was used to explain someone who was so exhausted and they were exhausted to the point of them collapsing. And here, the author of Hebrews is saying, guys, I know you are exhausted to the point of collapsing, to the point of fainting. But notice this. Look to Jesus. This word consider gives us a great picture of one who is being very calculated. He thinks deeply. He reminds himself of scripture when Jesus went through difficult times, when Jesus was being persecuted by Pilate, by Herod, by Caiaphas, when Jesus was being persecuted by the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And he says, look to Jesus. Notice his example. Matthew Henry stated, Christ's followers cannot expect better treatment in the world than the master had. Friends, are you laying aside the weights and the sin that so easily besets you? Are you running the race that God has before you? The race that God has for you. The Christian race that God has called you to run. And are you doing it with endurance? And are you looking to Jesus? How do you look to Jesus? You look at Jesus as the author and pioneer of my faith. Our faith, right? He is the perfecter. He's the one who has completed it. We look to Jesus based on his attitude. He had great joy embracing the cross, embracing trials and difficulties. And we too should have the same attitude. And we look to Jesus' example. What is the greatest example? He was persecuted for doing what was right. The world hated him and therefore the world will hate us. So you, come in, come in closer. You are in good company if that's what's happening. Look to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for a great passage of scripture. One that is so needed. It's kind of like having this, this spiritual checkup. But we're so pulled by the things of the world that we fail to, to have those spiritual checkups in our lives. To see in our own lives, God, that we're allowing certain weights, and even sin to hold us down. We are righteous people because of the righteousness of Christ. A holy people because we serve a holy God. Please, God, let us live differently. Let us run with endurance. Look into you, the author and perfecter of our faith. God, we love you. We worship you and we thank you. Amen. Amen.